This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. This is Nat. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. Well, you know, as districts begin releasing back-to-school plans and students begin to prepare to return to the classroom, many teachers, parents, and educators throughout Mississippi, well, they've got concerns. Here today, we have uh, to share his school's reopening plans. We have Pearl High School principal Chris Chisholm, plus Christopher McDill and Gulfport teacher Alice Brazil. They'll also be sharing their plans on how they plan on returning to the classroom as well and keeping their students safe. Hey, if you have any questions or concerns about students and teachers returning to the classroom, you know, this is your show too. We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. And we're going to welcome our guests in a minute. We're going to catch up with Michelle a little bit on the weekly roundup. Uh, Just a little bit of news, and you've probably heard this already on MPB, but the governor signed um, a new safe return executive order yesterday. He renewed it. He extended it. And he also added 10 counties to the mask mandate. So that's we have executive order 509. That includes Bolivar, Covington, Forrest, Humphreys, Panola, Sharkey, Simpson, Tallahatchie, Tate, and Walthall. And that is in addition to the previous 13, which are Claiborne, DeSoto, Grenada, Harrison, Hines, Jackson, Jefferson, Madison, Quitman, Rankin, Sunflower, Washington, and Wayne counties. And what does that mean? That just means that you obviously need to wear a mask in public when you're in public places and you need to do safe social distancing. Make sure you wash your hands. You know the basics. And the bottom line is, and what's happening, and you probably saw over the weekend and you probably saw um, this state health officer, Thomas Dobbs, saying that several of the hospitals in Mississippi, the big hospitals that have the ICU beds, are full. They're full of COVID patients. You've noticed that the numbers have shot up just We've been over a thousand yesterday. We were in the 800s, but we've shot up over a thousand for the last four days. And what's happening is, is it's filling up the ICU beds. And well, that's a problem. And that's a huge problem. Not only if you get, you know, COVID and you do have that reaction and your lungs fill up and you need to have that that care, but also if you have a heart attack or if you get in a car wreck and so forth. So they're actually sending patients out of state right now. So that's why we're doing that. And you know, the thing is, and Michelle's got some, a really great story, and I'm going to bring, uh, have her bring that to a second. But the bottom line is there is good news out there. And I know it's, things seem dire. And we wanted to do a show today also talking about, because I think one of the number one concerns that's going on right now is that a lot of parents are really worried on both sides of the story. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of concerns. And I don't think anything's really wrong, because I think we all want our kids to go to school. We just want it to be done safely. We want to make sure the staff the teachers, the custodians, the, the bus drivers, we want everybody to be safe. And so uh, we decided to put together a show today that basically kind of brought that to you and, and here's some of the ideas that are being presented because we feel like that the more you know, then you can ask better questions. And and um, we do want you to call today too if you have questions. But Michelle, I, number one, I hope you're staying cool and you're doing well because it has been stinking hot. And But you've got a really great story that I just – I, I just it really warmed my heart. Yeah, it is very hot. I walked outside this morning and it felt like it was three o'clock in the afternoon. It, oh, it no. was ridiculous hot. So I knew right then today was going to be another hot day. Saturday, I know you weren't in um, Mississippi this weekend, but Saturday here was so, so hot, dripping with sweat. And I understand a lot of people not wanting to or being uncomfortable when you're wearing your mask, but you have to do what you have to do. Uh, Just get in and get out. That's what I say. Go in and get what you need to get and get back out so you can take the mask off when you get in your car. Um, But stay safe when you're out around other people. Now, speaking of other people, this was a good news coronavirus story. It comes from Jacksonville, Florida. It's about a lady named Mary Daniel. And I think... For the most part, a lot of people have seen this has seen this story on the news, but it's a very heartwarming story, and I want to share it with everyone. Now, this lady named Mary Daniel um, had her husband in a, a senior care facility. He has Alzheimer's, um, and he was 
diagnosed and she put him didn't want to put him in the senior care facility but he needed some help because she said she had had to continue to work and I understand that so it was a hard decision for her to make but she put him in the um, facility and um, again um, she it's a memory care center so they were helping him and he was doing really well she said and then of course all of a sudden coronavirus hit the pandemic hit and they shut down everything. So she was taking, putting him to bed, putting some pajamas on, reading to him at night. And that's, again, that's very important to someone dealing with this type of disease, having someone um, there familiar with them, having that touch and that personal touch. That's very, very important. But of course, after coronavirus hit, um, the facility closed down all, um, um, visitors no one could come in or out and she hadn't seen her husband for 114 days and the facility workers were saying that his um um his health was deteriorating of course you think about it marshall someone that you love and especially someone that you used to see in every day you haven't seen them in 114 days so she was wondering what she can do she was calling up there asking them can i become um can i do anything can i help can i be a volunteer can i do anything to get in the facility my husband needs me i know i need him and they were saying no 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 so she thought about another thing. She said uh, she saw a job opening for a dishwasher at the facility. So she called the um, director and asked could she apply for the position. And the director said yes, because she realized that this man needed his wife. So she decided to give the job to Mrs. Mary Daniel, and she became a dishwasher at the facility. And after she finishes her job, she goes to his room, and she puts it in the bed like she used to do before um, the pandemic. She brushes his hair, sings, and talks to him, and his health is getting better. So I love that story, and it just shows that, that love prevails. And we talk about this on Southern Remedy with Dr. Um, Butchers, but... This pandemic has caused a lot of uh, layers of other issues, especially elderly, our elderly um, um, people, when they need that personal touch. Little kids, they need to see their grandparents. And just say if you uh, were quarantined and you haven't, haven't seen someone in two weeks or three weeks, and that personal touch is very important. A hug is very important. Not just seeing someone through a glass, but that actual touch of another human being is very important. So uh, that's a whole nother, uh subject, and we may have some medical experts on the show to talk about how important touch is. It truly is. And, and, and it seems like, you know, when you're alone and, and the one thing about this virus is totally stripped away the things that make us most human. It's it's our ability to go interact and be close to people and go out to eat or go to a bar or go to a concert. You know, we can't do that. But you talk about like what in that case. And I know my dad, when he was at the memory care home, I mean, we would go visit him and he's his, even when he could barely remember us, he would just light up because he loved to have people come visit to him. And I couldn't imagine if he were locked into his room all by himself and he didn't have that social interaction. And I know that's that I've talked to a lot of my friends whose parents are in nursing homes. And that's been one of their biggest frustrations is they haven't been able to see him. And and that is that is one of the most frustrating parts about this whole thing. You won't believe it, but um, a couple of weeks ago on CNN, I saw uh, a news story about broken heart syndrome. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but they're talking about they actually have a diagnosis of broken heart syndrome during this pandemic. People are dying of a broken heart, not of COVID-19, but being alone and being lonely or the anxieties that come with the pandemic. Broken heart syndrome, and they've actually deemed it a actual um, diagnosis. Isn't that something? Well, I tell you, I think a lot of people, you know, feel like, well, there's no hope and everything. And the way I look at it is we're just every day is one day closer to a cure for this thing. And there were a couple stories I saw over the weekend I thought I would share just to kind of give a little glimmer of hope out there. One of them, this is from CNBC. I saw this over the weekend. There is a British pharmaceutical company named Synerge who claims it's got a new respiratory coronavirus treatment. Now, why that's important right now, this is a novel virus, so there's no treatment whatsoever other than letting kind of your natural immune system running its course, and they try to give you some drugs to help that happen. But what this does, this has actually helped a number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients who need intensive care in a clinical trial. And like I just mentioned a few minutes earlier, 
the problem is our, our ICUs are filling up because there are so many people now that are needing that kind of intensive care. And so what this does, this is a nebulizer treatment. So it kind of gives a little spray, goes into the lungs, and it's actually produced a 79% lower risk of patients developing severe disease than those given a placebo. So what that means is that what it does, if you feel like your chest is tightening up and you need to go into the hospital, you get a shot of this drug. And what it does, there's a 79% lower risk of you actually ending up having to end up on a ventilator or you end up having to be on oxygen in the ICU. And that would be just groundbreaking if that's the case. And, and we do, we're holding out for a vaccine. And, you know, there was news over the weekend about the Oxford University vaccine that they're producing that has actually produced an immune response in the first stages of the trial. So it's still got to go through the safety aspect, probably go through the next stage. And it probably won't have it till the end of the year. But if they can get this other drug going and can reduce the numbers in the actual ICUs, that will go a long way to us being able to live a little bit more normal lives. Because really, at the end of the day, as bad as this, this virus is, and it is causing all kinds of strange side effects, and, and, and there's people that are literally two to three months after they've had it, they're still having to fight. You know, they're having everything from brain fog to all kinds of respiratory issues. But at the end of the day, if we can get the, the hospitals a little bit of pressure off of them, that would be just huge so anyway but like i said right now i think a lot of parents are worried about what's going to happen in the next few months uh, with school so we put together a show for you so it's time for our first break and when we return we're going to welcome pearl high school principal chris chisholm to the show and if you'd like to be part of our conversation we'd love to hear your thoughts so give us a call 877 mpb ring it's 877-672-7464 hey stay tuned this is now you're talking on mpb think radio Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. You're listening to Now You're Talking on the MPB Think Radio. I'm Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused educational leaders around the state to make tough decisions. that will affect thousands of families and communities. I know it's affected my family because I am not only a father of three boys, but I'm also a husband of a teacher. So we've been in tune to this as well. So here to share his school's reopening plans is Pearl High School Principal Chris Chisholm. Chris, thank you for taking the time to visit with us today, and I hope everything's going well in your universe. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, asking me to come on the show. This is um, Things are going as well as they could possibly be right here, just really busy right before school cranks up. Yeah, I just wanted to throw it out because this out here real quick, because I know y'all are probably catching some heat. You're probably catching some praise, but I, and, and I just know even from my wife's bosses, how hard everybody's been working to try to put this plan together. And I figured it would be good to have you come on to talk a little bit about what, what the Pearl school district's doing and Pearl high school's doing, but also too, but I think before we get into that, I just want you to tell a little bit about yourself and your family and how long you've been at the high school. 
Well, this is actually, this will be my sixth year at Pearl High School. Um, my wife was uh, promoted this year to the SPED director here in the district. She was a dyslexia therapist here, and uh, I actually have two kids. I have a seventh grader and an 11th grader, both upcoming. So uh, we have kids in the district, and we work here in the district. So uh, and I've, been, I've been around the state and in different schools um, uh, as assistant principal and principal. Ed. I was in Lafayette County for a couple of years, New Albany as assistant principal for a couple of years, and spent some time in DeSoto County as a uh, teacher and a coach, and also in Lowndes County. So I've been, I've been around the northern part of the state and, and now the central part of the state. Well, we're glad to have you here in the central part. And, you know, it sounds like you've definitely got a lot invested into making sure this goes well, because, I mean, you're not only, you know, your your wife and you, but your kids, too. So let's talk a little bit, because I know this hasn't been easy. It really hasn't. And especially given your position, let's let's just go back in time to March, which seems like, what, five million years ago oh, yeah. when the schools were first shut down. God, didn't it seem seriously like a million years ago? How you How did you and your team respond when that happened? Uh, the best we could. Honestly, this caught everybody su by surprise. Uh, this was not. This is not something that we knew we should be planning for. To be quite honest with you, uh, and and our district was not one to one at the time. Now we are about to be one to one, but we weren't at the time. It's something that we've talked about over the last few years. But we are all firm believers in in face to face instruction. I mean, that is the best way to receive instruction. So it's one of those things when when it happened, we just did the best that we could. You know, we got computers to the kids that needed them. Uh, our teachers came up here quite a bit and and worked through it. You know, it's it's honestly we probably killed several small rainforests with all the copies that we made and <laughs> handed out. But but in the end, uh, you know, we did the best that we could. So did the kids. So did the parents. And in the end, I will tell you, our community was very very supportive of us, and and it worked out just fine. You know, what lessons did you learn in 2020 when you were coming up with this plan? Wow, that's a that's such a loaded question. Um, when we're coming up with a plan right now, I, really, it's just to be ready for for pretty much anything, you know. And I feel like the plans that we put in place, we're we're going to be ready for whatever they throw at us. And I say they, whether it's government, whether it's the MDE. I mean, we've got several different plans, and quite honestly, we've got backups to backups. So that's that's the good thing going forward. Is is you just don't take anything for granted. You know, and seeing some of our kids over the summer, too, we did some community service stuff around here, and I've seen some of our kids, um, especially athletes that were here. It, it's amazing to hear their response, too. You know, they were they were all of the opinion that we didn't know what we had while we had it. You know, now that school was taken away, you know, we feel really bad about the way that we did some things here. I was on a, a Zoom call with our student council kids last night, and they're talking about the things that they want to do when they come back. So, you know, I think there, ultimately it was not a good thing, but I think some good will come out of this. Uh, we'll be better on the other side. We've got Ann from Meridian who's got a question for you, Chris. Hello, Ann. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to ask, Chris, um, what can nonprofits and what can businesses do in, you know, in our communities around the state to either help support the school districts or families or both? That, that's a really good question. Um, I really think that's a question for your local district. I, I'm not trying to avoid the question. I just think every every place has got its own set of challenges. Uh, every place has got its own monetary issues. You know, every place is very, very different. So that's really a school-specific answer. Uh, and you're going to, you probably out of all the districts here, you're going to get a different answer from every place. So my, my advice to you is just reach out to the principals of the school. It might even be more than just the districts in the individual schools themselves, you know, see if there's something that you can do to help there. I, I don't know if it's uh, information. I don't know if it's uh, help with PPEs. Uh, it just depends on what every district needs at this point. Well, can like for instance, can businesses or nonprofits is do you know of a way that they can provide or or help advocate for broadband internet if that's needed in the community? Oh. I think that's needed in every community, even in places like this. We're close. We're right next to downtown Jackson here in Pearl, but we have parts of our community that, that we don't have broadband. And, and I will tell you that we've got a plan for that as well. We're putting some, some units on buses to where if we do get a shutdown again, we can send those buses out and actually give the students that are in those areas some broadband access. They may have to move a little bit to get to it, but, you know, it'll go a couple of hundred yards off the top of the bus. So it, we're trying to do some things, and I think maybe 
maybe you guys can step in and help there. And certainly uh, any calls to the, uh, you know, the power companies and, you know, some of the people that have been freed up to, to do some rural broadband would help. Thank you. All right, Ann. Thank, yeah, thank you, Ann. I appreciate it. Uh, some really good points there. I, I would think, you know, money would probably be very important for schools because, I mean, there's so many new expenses that y'all are having to, to do things to get the buildings ready for social distancing and, and also PPE, which you touched on, which I think is incredibly important because teachers are going to be using quite a bit of that. And so are students, too. So, yeah, some really great points there. Chris, let me ask you this real quick. I, I know a lot of school districts sent out surveys for families to gather input on their safety. And I know some districts have, you know, obviously sought, you know, medical advice to be able to make sure they do. What was kind of the, the process that y'all used to, to put your plan together? Really, um, there's multiple things that go into that. Again, that's such a, again, I'm not trying to avoid it. It's just, that's a loaded question because there's so many different directions. Uh, honestly, I have talked to hundreds of parents personally here, um, you know, and discussed their individual needs for their kids. I have, um, we as a district have done lots of different things and outreach to parents and, and the communities. Um, I will tell you also, we have been on, I actually calculated this up the other day. Um, I've been on about 204 hours worth of calls in the last six weeks. And that's with local um, health professionals, state health professionals, um, national health professionals, and more recently in the last couple of weeks, international, because some of the other schools in other countries like Denmark and Sweden and Germany have already opened up and just seeing what they're doing over there and, and listening to the results of what they're seeing there. So there's a lot that goes into the planning process. It's not, it's just gathering as much information as you possibly can before you jump out and put a plan out. And I think, uh, I think we do a really good job of that here. Some people said maybe we're just a little bit late, but that's because we wanted to make sure that we were right what we'd hate to do is put out a plan and then turn around and have to change that plan a week later have you released your plan yes yes we have and we have okay we, have, we have three options here for teachers i mean yeah. for, for students and that's the full in-person which we're planning to do uh there is an online option if that's a medical necessity and and then we also have a, a hybrid bottle but we're not going to use that unless unless we need it but but again there's a there's a backup to a backup so so we have a we have several plans for for students here and then of course our individual plan is what takes along here at the school level so you're doing a full in-person plan what precautions and what changes are you making to make that happen to make sure that's safe Right. That's, that's a great question. Uh, you know, the, the gathering, we have about 1,200 kids here. So it's and our, you know, we're getting a new building built as well right outside our school. It's not going to be ready until January. So we're going to be a little bit crowded here. So what we're trying to do is limit, limit those crowded areas. So like in the mornings, typically kids stand around for about 15 or 20 minutes and hang out and talk uh, before they go to class when the bell rings. Well, we have stopped that. So now as soon as the students come in, they grab a grab-and-go breakfast from three or four stations that we have, and they'll move straight to class you know and we can still we're gonna have to be a little creative for things like clubs and other things but we can do those virtually sitting in the classroom right there so um, that's one of the things that we're doing uh, we're also going to eat lunch in the classrooms and we have a plan for that where we send we have we have three lunch lines so we'll send two uh, two classes at a time and then we'll alternate hallways so we're not really crossing over um, we've done that uh, so again there's a plan for that uh, we got plexiglass coming for all secretary's offices, so we keep a little distance there as well. You know, all the students are going to be given two separate types of masks. We're going to do a gator mask, the one that you can pull up from the bottom. Uh, we'll also have a mask that uh, you just hook around your ears as well. Of course, they're going to have the pearl P on it, uh, so that's pretty neat. Uh, teachers will have uh, three different types of masks given to them. They will have the gator, they will have the regular mask, and we're also giving the teachers a face shield as well. So again, there, there's many, many times that a teacher, the students will need to see a teacher's mouth. So if, if a student was getting speech services, for example, uh, you know, that teacher needs to be able to show the student the way to shape their mouth to make those different sounds. So in the end, that's, uh, that's the reason for the face shields. Um, the plan, oh, go ahead. Uh, just a couple of other quick things, you know, when we're on buses and we can't separate six feet, you know, mask will be up and enforced. Uh, we will have the same thing in our hallways whenever we transition from class to class. Uh, so, so that'll be a mask up time. And then also, you know, within the classrooms themselves, we're going to try to ventilate that a little more, open some windows, open some doors. 
uh, and and also our teachers here have been just absolutely wonderful. They are they're all giving up a planning block this year, so not they're still getting their required, but every teacher here got a planning block every day. And our teachers are giving up a planning block so we can lower class numbers. Uh, our largest class right now is about 20. And with the size of our rooms, we can get six, six feet apart in, in those classrooms pretty easily. You mentioned there would be a online option if you had a medical, uh, maybe a medical condition. Is there a way if your child doesn't have a medical condition that they can opt into that one? Uh, that's a possibility uh, that they're still working through that process. Uh, the, the easiest thing to do is just apply. And, and again, it doesn't have to be just that student. I mean, if, if somebody, if they live with grandmother at home who's 70 years old, that's a diabetic or, you know, there's, there's several reasons that you would be allowed to do that. I've noticed uh, the high school sports season has been pushed back a couple of weeks. What, what mm -hmm. precautions are y'all taking about sports? Because I know it's, it's tough and my son runs cross country and even that's a pretty socially distant sport by nature. But even then, the kids kind of naturally want to clump together. How are you, how are you doing? Uh, what are you doing to take precautions with sports? Well, we're following the MHSA guidelines, and, and I can tell you props to our coaches, man. They've done a super job here with that. You know, 20 in groups outside, 10 in groups inside. If you're inside and you're close to each other, they're wearing masks. Uh, we are cleaning constantly. It is a – they actually did a new special on our, our football girls out there that were, were cleaning the equipment in between sets. I mean, so they've done a super job. It's hard. Uh, and, and it's not just athletics, fine arts. You know, we've got band camp going on right now, you know. And so we've got several kids over there working out in, in groups, just in smaller groups. That's, that's the big change more than anything else is just not being able to be together as a full team. And that's hard, but also it's early. You know, hopefully as, as we move forward, we'll be able to do a little more of that if this, if this dies down. Two very quick questions, and then we got to run. Chris, thank you for taking the time to, to visit with us and kind of talk a little bit about what you're doing. Number one, are you going to be taking temperatures of the kids when they come in? Yes, we are. Uh, the teachers will do that right before they enter the classroom. So that is, that okay. is definite. That's going to happen. And uh, number two on this, um, gosh, you know what? I forgot what number two is. That just kind of the day today is on that. Look, I just want to say thank you for taking the time on this. Good luck with the school season. Oh, this is the question real quick. Obviously, if things change, y'all are going to be able to, to, to change on a dime and go back to say, say the numbers got really bad and suddenly there was an outbreak in your area. You've got the flexibility to go online only, correct? Absolutely. And that's going yeah. to be, that will still be a face-to-face -face online. Uh, so that yeah. we've got a really good solid plan for that. It's easy for parents to understand. Instead of having to follow their kids' schedule, we have blocks set up for each class on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then we'll have some one-on-one -on -one time on Friday, and also have our special education students meeting on Friday as well to make sure that we're following all the federal guidelines for them. Do you have any advice for any other principals before we go? Man, it's it's. Really, it's just get as much information as you can. There's so many things out there. You know, I, I even put yesterday that I'm taking a break from Facebook for a little while. Just to, It's just so much stuff that's uh, not really good science. You know, you, you follow the people yeah. that you really should follow and pay attention to the things that you should pay attention to. You know, listen to our state officials, listen to the national officials, and then, again, look at what's happening in other countries and, and really pay attention. Reach out. You know, those meetings just don't jump in your inbox. you got to go find them. So, um, but I can tell you, uh, our folks here have done a really good job of keeping keeping us informed. Our local health folks have done a, a great job of working with us as well. And just bottom line is stay on the cutting edge of where we are. You know, I, sometimes we know information before it's even given out by the governor at times. So uh, just staying on the edge and, and being ready for whatever's next. Chris, thank you so much and good luck this year. We're going to be uh, keeping you in our thoughts, definitely, on that. So thanks for for jumping in. All right, we're going to take another quick break. and we return, we'll welcome educator Christopher McDill to the show. Are you a teacher or do you work in the school system and have concerns about returning to school? If so, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. As school districts across Mississippi prepare to return back to the classroom, some teachers are concerned about their safety and the safety of their students. Our next guest knows firsthand the issues that surround him. So let's welcome to the show a longtime public school teacher and educator, Christopher McDill. Uh, Christopher, thanks for taking time out to be with us today. I know it's uh, busy. Uh, you're getting ready for the school year, and so I know your time's valuable. I appreciate it. Tell us before we get going too deep into the weeds about what all you're planning to do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great morning, Marshall. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak with you this morning. So my name is Christopher Kyle McDill. I'm 36 years old. I am from Louisville, Mississippi. The last six years, I've worked in Jackson Public Schools teaching uh, social studies, geography, and science within the middle school division. Um, I worked at Best Buy previously before I became an educator, and that gave me a lot of knowledge on using technology effectively. Um, And after I became a licensed educator in Mississippi, I really started using a lot of digital uh, tools and devices within my classroom. So this year, I'll be moving away from uh, middle school education, and I'll actually be moving into higher learning, where I'll be uh, a lecturer at Mississippi State University teaching world regional geography. Oh, congratulations. I know you're going to be enjoying that a little bit. So I take it that when March hit, um, and a lot of people were literally caught flat-footed because it was like, okay, suddenly we have to learn how do we do Zoom, how do we use Canvas, how do we use whatever. You were in pretty good shape when that happened, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I I was in pretty good shape for the last two years. My classroom's actually been completely paperless, even though it's been face-to-face instruction, using Chromebooks and using Google G Suite for education. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work in a building that was one for one and had access to Chromebooks every day. And it really advanced what I was trying to do in the classroom. And so it was something that I was prepared for. And, but uh, like you heard previously from Chris, the uh, principal at Pearl, a lot of school districts really were not prepared. So after this happened, I really didn't get to utilize what I knew uh, in a way that was it really helped kids at all, helped my students at all, because we were kind of put on hold with some students having access to resources, some students not. Um, and so the, the district really had to think about what was equitable for every student and how will we educate for the last nine weeks. So uh, even though I was prepared, districts and most teachers really weren't prepared for going com- to completely digital instruction. I tell you the challenge, and this I saw this, of course, my wife teaches, and so she had to figure out how to teach art to K through two kids on, on screen, you know, I mean, that's right. it's like, it was like blowing her mind, and, and also, too, I saw with my own kids, how to be engaged, and so I've got a, a very good friend who coaches, and he teaches social studies, who came up with a great, you know, he came up with a, a game, so we're basically you know, they were doing this series of questions and, and, and ended up having a prize at the end. But I mean, what challenge was that? I mean, your kids obviously had a lot of technology access, but what, how much of a challenge is it to actually keep children engaged and interested when you're trying to teach them online? Because it's so easy to just click off, you know, and not pay attention. Yeah, I, I think that if you're talking to a lot of teachers and adults, they would tell you that it's really, really hard or they think it's really hard for students to be able to be fully engaged in digital platform. I, on the other hand, happen to think that students prefer that. So most of the kids that we teach now, even kids at high school, they're digital natives. They've not known a day without the internet, right? You went to college and you got a degree using the Dewey Decimal System. They will never do that because they've grown up in the age of the internet and grown up in the age of information. So their, their, their tools that they're working with are completely different. And it doesn't take much to engage them digitally because that's the way that they've been learning since the iPhone in 2006 has been released. Kids have had tablets, computers, phones right at their right in their hands and get to access information 
instantly. So what I did is I took what I knew about digital tools and digital uh, education things that are already out there and entertainment value for kids, you know, that play games and stuff like that and tried to incorporate that into an instruction model for teaching virtually. And it's really worked uh, pretty well. I was able to use this and test it during uh, the summer boost program for Jackson Public Schools. And I had no problems with being able to keep kids fully engaged for, you know, 90-minute blocks. Um, and these are middle school age kids, so these are 6th, 7th, 8th grade age students. But when you get to K through five, those those students do need a lot more hands-on activity. Um, but I think that there is some value in moving to completely digital, not completely virtual, but completely digital-based instruction. I think it will advance th the students. And I think in you general. touched on what the secret is right there. And I think that some of the teachers I noticed couldn't quite figure this out. But just figure out how kids use their phones and figure out how they use technology and then do it. And I think you're doing that with your company, Virtual Mississippi LLC. Tell us a little bit about it because you co-founded it and, and tell us a little bit of what you're doing with that. Right. So the idea of this was teachers, districts were really not prepared for virtual instruction. With the things that are going on right now, we really need to be focused on, on making virtual instruction work to keep people as safe or as minimal risk as possible because the risk is going to be there when schools go back. You can make a lot of different changes, but there's going to be uh, some level of risk, and it just depends on what you do. depends on the, the higher risk that you get. Like getting kids on a school bus, there's risk in that. Just going to the building is risk in it. So let's focus on these virtual instruction, a virtual instruction model and these virtual instruction tools where we can – get that started first and then phase into instead of kind of the opposite way, which we're going to going back in traditional. If then something happens, then we phase into a hybrid or phase into a, a virtual instruction model. And I think that we're really going to put teachers at a disadvantage if we go back without a solid foundation of what virtual instruction looks like and virtual engagement. And this is something that parents would have to be involved in too. You know, it would be training that the districts, parents, all the community stakeholders would really need to be involved in. It's a different way to look at education, but it's working on a virtual instruction model to implement digital tools where we could have face-to-face -face instruction. And I've been doing this with face-to-face -face instruction, and my co-founder, Jameer Barnes, she's been doing this with uh, digital instruction as well for the past few years. It is possible, and the technology is already there. It's just expanding it. And so our idea was go in and help districts figure out what technology they need, expand uh, if need be, and then give teachers a tool and to be able to effectively give virtual instruction. And there's a difference between just giving virtual instruction, sliding kids information and telling them to work on it and their parents work on it on rather than like real-time, effective, engaged instruction. And that's what we really want yeah. to help provide to the district. You, you really touched on something important, too. You're talking about educating the parents as well as the students. And, and I know a lot of parents really struggled with the, the online teaching, you know, basically keeping their kids on task and keeping them and so forth. What all what all advice would you give for parents to if, if this does come to the point where we have to do online again? What advice would you give for them to, to be able to be um, help their kids a little bit easier? Yeah, I think definitely. Uh having an understanding of what learning management system that schools are using, whether it be Canvas, whether it be uh, Google G Suite, or then that's Google Classroom, Gmail, all those things kind of fall under G Suite. But having an understanding of those, that way you can be a support role. Because ultimately, teachers don't want parents to be the person who's giving instruction. Teachers want to give instruction. We just need to know how to give effective virtual instruction. And the parents should still be in the same role, that support role that they always have been with teachers. And so we're helping parents to understand it's not their job to teach, it's their job to support the teacher and in their instruction using these digital tools and using this digital space is really um, the advice I could give them. So, you know, try to understand what, what their students are using to be educated and what the districts are using because ultimately that system is going to help you better help the student. We've got Esther from Jackson who has a comment. Um, hello, Esther. Welcome to the show. Hey, Marshall. Can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
great. And then I'm, I'm sorry, is your guest name Chris? Is that correct? Yeah, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher. Christopher. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad to hear y'all talking about this issue. I'm a school teacher myself, um, and I've been working with the kind of grassroots group of teachers who share a lot of the kind of concerns you're talking about, whether it be the risk of going back to school as well as you know, dealing with technology in general for our parents and for, you know, our younger students. So I wanted to call in and say that I really appreciate y'all are talking about this, as well as while I'm on the air, say that I hope teachers and parents are really making sure that they're sort of advocating for themselves. Um, Dealing with these issues is going to be challenging for teachers and for parents and for students. And I really appreciate the advice. Uh, And I was really excited to hear about the company you were speaking about. Christopher, could you tell me again what that was called? Virtual Mississippi. And you can visit it at www.virtualmississippi.org. And you can contact me or Jameer there, and we could follow up and give you even more information about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, so... Well, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. And good luck this year too. I hope you have a good, I hope you have a good start of the year and everything's smooth. Well, me too. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you calling the show. Uh, Christopher, before we wrap up, I just want to say number one, thank you for taking the time to come and I'm excited about your, your new adventure this fall. I know you're going to enjoy that. And I'm, I'm getting an online master's right now. So I love doing online schooling on that. Let me ask you one, one last question before we wrap. I'd like to know what kind of advice you would give to other teachers. Yeah. If I could give any advice to my fellow teachers, fellow educators, uh, you need to learn how to use these digital tools. Uh, You don't need to wait on districts or schools to, to really help. You need to reach out to, anybody that you know and start using things. Google certifications like the Google Certified Educator Level 1 and Level 2 programs are great places to start to be able to incorporate uh, digital tools into your classroom. And with these, we can really advance what we're doing and advance the students' uh, learn time. And so that time that we have lost, we can make that up, but we have to use the right tools and have to utilize the right training to be able to do it. All right, it's time for our final break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap up our conversation with Gulfport School teacher Alice Brazil. She'll be on with us. There's still time for you to get in your questions or comments. So the number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think "Eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere this is an mpb think radio podcast all right this this is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Today, we've been talking with educators around Mississippi about returning to school. If we'd like to hear what you want, you think, so it's not too late to give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We're going to welcome our final guest to the show. Alice Brazil is a seventh grade teacher in Gulfport. Alice, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. I love your bio here. You're a wife, you're a mom, a wife, a teacher, and a small YouTuber in that specific order. That's awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you teach. Okay, so I teach middle schoolers. I teach math. Um, and anyone who has taught middle schoolers or known anyone in that age group <laughs> knows that yeah. they are coming into themselves. They're learning who they're going to be. And it's a really fun time to meet those, those children. Well, you're also a mom too. You've got you've got a tenth and eleventh grader, so you and I are about in the same boat on that. Tell a little yes. bit. What what option are they going to be taking this year for for uh, school? I've decided. My husband and I decided that they need to be virtual students. I feel like the numbers are increasing with the COVID cases, and just to be safe, I feel like since my school, I'm fortunate enough that my school offers that. 
to let them go ahead and do that. And that does two things. So one, that keeps them safe, and we don't have two little ticking time bombs returning to our home every day. And also, it maybe will um, lower the um, class numbers in their classes they would have been at if they were to be present. You know, that's a really important point that I hadn't really thought about, about the importance of having that option, because it does lower the class count a little bit. When when March hit, um, I mean, obviously, I think everybody was caught flat-footed. We, we've, we've mentioned that before. But how did you react when suddenly you had to teach math to middle schoolers online? Because I would think that wouldn't, wouldn't be very easy. It, it really was not, especially since we were learning new skills. We were learning about statistics, and that seems to be um, challenging because sometimes it's not always so concrete. And I, I, I did several things until I finally felt like I got in my groove, so to speak. What are some of the procedures that your school district's going to be using this fall, and what would a typical day look like for you? Okay, so one thing that I really like is that bus students must have their temperature taken before they even get on the bus, and students that come in other ways will have their, well, basically, I will have my own thermometer, and I will be checking temperatures for students when they come in. Masks will be worn. Um, the teachers it's basically like we're divided up into teams for my particular school, and I think the other schools are doing this for middle school. So basically every all the children will be in one class, and they'll stay in that class while the teachers um, move from room to room, and they'll only leave for elective. And basically those are the important things that I think. You mentioned virtual learning will be an option, but that's only available for 4 through 12. What about K through 3? What's what's the option for them? I've, based on my understanding, they have to report to school every day. Okay. Okay. Um, what happens if, say, a child has underlying medical conditions? Will they make an exception for that child? I really hope so, but to be honest, I'm really not sure what they're going to do, but I would hope so. Will you be teaching online classes as well as doing your in-person classes? As far as I know, I will be teaching online classes, and I believe they're going to put this technology in our room called Swivel. So it mm -hmm. will follow me around as I'm teaching. That was my understanding. Oh, wow. So the virtual students will have that. And they have two different options. Some students can have that where they have to log in to each class every day or they'll have a variety of assignments that they must complete um, throughout the week, and they won't be able to experience the in-class. Um, they won't be able to experience being in class, so to speak. I, I know my wife has got some extra responsibilities with her teaching job as well. She'll be, like, for instance, in between her classes, she will be sanitizing her room. What are some of the things that you'll be doing on top of your normal teaching duties? Okay, so just like your wife, I plan on cleaning and sanitizing the room, and every teacher at my school is going to be getting their own little rolling cart. So my goal before I leave a classroom is to make there's no, like, my germs will not be present in that room for the next teacher. And just keep cleaning. I plan on, since we're changing classes, I plan on washing my hands really good with soap and water in between classes. Keep my masks on, my mask on, no more hugs, which... That's so sad, but, you know, it's for their protection and mine. That's going to be hard. I mean, I, seriously, and I was thinking about that on the, like, even on the elementary level, which, you know, hugs are kind of like part of the day, and that's going to be really, really tough. And to, to keep kids apart, how do you keep middle schoolers six feet apart from each other? To be honest, that is the biggest thing I am concerned about, because middle schoolers, like I said, they... They kind of just do, and they're testing their boundaries. And I do know, though, that my administrator told us that a kid gets a three strikes, you're out with the mask. So if they decide to take their mask off or not come to school with a mask, they will become a virtual student. Oh, wow. But I feel that's, that's like... That's a good way to do it. Oh, go ahead. And anyway, so what I always tell my students when I first meet them is I tell them I have two jobs. One is to keep you safe, and the second is to teach you math. And if you get in the way of either one of those two things, I'm going to get a hold of you. <laughs> and I feel like it's going to be more serious <laughs> this time. You know, I'm going to have to tell them, look, I want you here. I want you here. I want you to be safe. And I promise I'm going to be calm parents so quick. 
if their child does not follow the safety procedures. Like, it, I'm going to be on them. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit scared of you, Alice. I'll be honest with you after that. You sound like you're pretty tough. But but I, I think you're right. I, and, and every teacher I've talked to, they said, you know, my number one priority is to make sure the kids stay safe. And, of course, you want to keep yourself safe as well. And, and that involves PPE for yourself. I take it the district is is going to provide you with masks and so forth to make sure that you stay safe too, right? Absolutely. I, I'm, I know they're all providing masks or face shields, and I'm pretty sure they're going to be providing hand sanitizer. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yes. They're going to be um, yeah, def- extra cleaning, all that. They're taking extra precautions. You know, I, what aspect of returning to the classroom do you feel like is going to be probably the most challenging part? Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. What aspect of returning to the classroom do you feel like will be the most challenging? Okay, so the most challenging is I know that with my school district, we have all these amazing procedures in place. We're, I mean, if there was any other school, if I had to return to school, I would want to return to the Gulfport School District because of all the precautions. The only thing that worries me is you read on the news and you hear stories about people taking all the precautions and attending birthday parties and like 18 out of 20 of them got COVID. And so I just worry that there's that and also some students might not come to the classroom thinking that this is serious because we see people everywhere thinking this is a big joke and it's safe to say that perhaps their children would think it's a joke as well. Alice, in our final minute, what advice would you give for other teachers that are listening right now that are, are getting their plans put together and they've gotten their plans for the school district, but they're still kind of sitting there going, okay, now what's next? I would just say to, if, you, if you're a praying person, pray. Take all the safety precautions. Hold your students accountable. You have to hold your students accountable more so than you ever have in your entire life. And it's not just for the other children's safety, it's for your safety and perhaps your family's safety. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was fantastic. Closing, we're going to take, we're going to end another great show. We want to thank our guest, Pearl High School Principal Chris Chisholm, educator Christopher McDill, and of course, golf school teacher Alice Brazil for joining us today. If you'd like to hear the show or any past episode, you can listen to the podcast or your favorite podcast app or by downloading your our favorite MPB public media app as well. Now you're talking to production of MPB Think Radio is produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. And remember, we will get you through this together. Have a great week. Stay safe.